0: Hi everyone! Welcome to another session of Nuts and Bolts of Writing. Today, we're going to be talking to Coffee and Comics about their webcomic, Chaotic Idiots, which you can read on Webtoon. Links in description. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about Chaotic Idiots and what it's about?
1: Sure. Um- Chaotic Idiots is, it's sort of a coming of age story about these, these Fey who have been brought over, um, not brought over, but they, they've been, they've been forced to flee their homelands because, um, it collapsed and now they are living hidden in a modern world, kind of like along the lines of something like Fables or Once Upon a Time. hmm
0: So, what kind of genre does it fall under? Is it like urban fantasy or like low fantasy? What do you think it is considered?
1: Um I would say it's probably low low fantasy only because it takes place in a in a modern world. They have things like schools and cars and jobs. So it's more along the lines of like, let's say, I have a vampire character who is a social worker. Um, mm-hmm. so it's it's more more of a modern setting in that way.
0: Mhm. And it's a little bit slice of life too, right?
1: Oh yeah. I, I would say I would say it started out as slice of life and then it sort of moved into like a family drama um, in some ways.
0: Mhm. And friendship plays a very large role in your series as well. Absolutely hmm Can you also tell us about the role that disability plays in Chaotic
1: Idiots? Sure. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I was growing up in a very neurotypical world. Um, I myself am an Aspie. I was diagnosed about five years ago at this point. And I saw like a lack of, of like I said, neurodivergent characters. So disability, pl- the role it plays is more more how the, these characters deal, deal with the emotions of being young teenagers and also dealing with the fact that they're not quite, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're not quite, they're not average. Mm-hmm. But then again, what is what is normal? Um, so it's more like how they deal with day-to-day life, um, having a unique set of, of uh, circumstances. Mm-hmm. And you want to
0: show, you know, the different aspects of disability, right? Not just, you know, one aspect that you always see in media, which can often be stereotyped.
1: Absolutely. And I recently was watching she and I love the character of Entrapta. I feel like Entrapta is such a, is a, is a good step in the, in the right direction and something that I, I hope that I can help to emulate too, like, um Jacob is, Jacob is autistic, but he doesn't necessarily encompass the entire spectrum. He's only, he's one aspect of that. So I do hope that that my characters don't necessarily fall into the stereotypical, um, what you think of when you think of a male on the spectrum or really anyone on the spectrum.
0: Mm-hmm. So some of the stereotypes that we see in media of a male or anyone on the spectrum is someone who is not very good with expressing some of their emotions, right? Like very logical, very much like Spock from Star Trek, for example.
1: Yeah. It's, it's when you look at, when you look at some of the, the um, autistic characters, they're almost, they're written very robotically and Jacob is, for, is certainly not that, Any, if anyone's read the series. He's very in tune with his friends and his own emotions, and he shows quite a bit of that. You know, he shows when he's happy or when he's sad or when he's excited. Like, he definitely has a full range of emotion. Adar as well. Um, and Adar is a little bit more severe on the spectrum, but he too has his own, his own um, full range of emotion.
0: Mm hmm. Exactly. You know, Jacob is a very empathetic person, as we see in his interactions with Leroy.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah, that they have a very special brotherly bond. um, And one that is is very important and crucial in their their development um, as characters. Mm hmm.
0: Yes, I, I really enjoyed how Jacob takes the initiative to understand Leroy more, and he's afraid of driving him away sometimes.
1: Absolutely. I, I really explored that in, in the episode Where the Darkest Fears Lie: is that Jacob is afraid that, you know, because of the stereotypes of vampires and many like Faye being afraid of vampires, Um, Jacob often fears that Leroy will see him as a monster. And that's Probably the last thing that he or anyone really um, would would want anyone to look at them as as different or strange.
0: Mm-hmm. What kind of fae are in your work, and how did you construct, you know, the relationship between the fae and the humans in your work?
1: So um, I was very inspired by Celtic mythology. Um, so I have. I believe I, I my cast consists of characters like nixies and sirens. Vampires are considered fae in my universe. Um, I have pixies and centaurs, uh, many things you would see in like Welsh and Gaelic uh, mythology. And I don't quite think I've necessarily touched on the 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 relationship between humans and fae quite yet. Um, I would say that in my world, uh, it is forbidden for Fae and humans to intermingle and, and, to, um, and to fall in love. Uh, uh, although that has happened, there are a few characters who are half-human, Leroy being one of them. Mm-hmm. So, so they're more, the, the Fae are more hidden from, from the human realm. They sort of have their own world where they're kind of uh, their own little, little uh, haven, where where they're where they're at. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what kind of roles do Faye and you know humans play in this universe? Like, what what is their relationship historically, and how will it change as the story progresses? Will it change?
1: So that's a good question. Um, in tier in tier and uh, which is my prequel series to Chaotic Idiots, I'm going to explore. The aspect of the reason why the vampires are actually with the um are actually within the realm of the phase because humans were hunting them, they were afraid of uh, of them they of how different they were, and Lord Ambrosio, who is like the great ancestor of the vampires, um basically begged the gods of the other lands to kind of give his people sanctuary um, so I would say. Relationships, fear-based. There, there's a lot of like, you know, oh, would they experiment on them? You know, and there, there's, there's definitely a fear factor there.
0: Hmm. So, is it mostly humans who fear the fae, or as humans start fearing them and start hunting them down, the fae start becoming afraid of humans too, right?
1: I think the Fey have many instincts where if they were if an all-out war were to break out with the humans, which is something that they definitely don't want, um, they would probably fight back to, to ensure the survival of their species. But the other thing is they're fighting amongst themselves. so, so there's, there's really this, this underlying of uh, this bubbling unrest between the light and the dark Fae. mm-hmm.
0: Can you tell us more about the light fae and the dark fae and what species they encompass?
1: Sure. Dark fae would be considered like vampires or nightmares. Um, and nightmares are my own kind of my own fae creation. They are based off of Scandinavian mare mythology, where people believed that mares would come and uh, give them bad dreams. Mm-hmm. So, um, and nightmares are everything from. Vampire hybrids to pure—they're—they're creatures of shadow, so they can do everything from siphoning fear to making your worst desires um come true in a way that is like appealing. So they're—they're not—they're not not good, (laughs) good creatures, and the light fay would be more like the mavens, which are they're creatures of nature. The mavens or elves and pixies um and maybe even the mimics to a degree
0: Mm -hmm. Leroy is half mimic right
1: yes his mother his mother was a mimic and his father was a human Mm -hmm. so how does that affect
0: the way he sees himself
1: um he had a and that's an aspect I have yet to explore but Leroy definitely had a very hard time fitting in as a child um dude that's why he looks the way he does um that's why he has the coloring and 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 the design that he does because he's not he almost has two feet in 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 different planes one which is mortal and one which is human so i imagine it would almost make him feel like an outcast which is why probably he and jacob got along so well
0: Mm mm-hmm Yes, definitely. Jacob and Leroy share a very special bond. Can you tell us more about their friendship and how you expect their friendship to drive where the series goes? Because they are the two main characters.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, At some point, I hope to explore their childhoods a bit more. Jacob himself, even though he is a vampire, um, is a little bit of an outcast himself. So... I definitely hope to explore further um, what kind of led to them having the bond that they do and as for where it goes in the future, currently in in season two, things are a little rocky with them, but uh, hopefully going forward with the next couple episodes, they'll be able to reconcile and uh, come back to where they were before. Mm
0: -hmm. What are the other disabilities that you cover in your series?
1: Sure. Um, On top of uh, ASD, I have congenital deafness. Um, I cover some uh, PTSD, as well as depression and anxiety, and something that you could consider close to disassociative identity disorder, but not quite, only because it's a little bit more magical. Mm
0: -hmm. Can you tell us about who these characters who have these conditions are and how they struggle with these conditions?
1: Sure. Um, my character with the congenital deafness is is a character named Lucas Kane, and he is a Nixie. And the one thing that he struggles with is um, he's, so a little backstory back about him. He was inspired by Asylum Voice, which is a, a beautiful animated film about bullying and disability, particularly of a deaf character. And um and Lucas struggles with the you know the idea that I think, based on my research, um, loneliness in silence. Like he almost has a desire to be a desire to hear the world, um, and to hear his friends and experience it even though, He's happy and bright and he's kind. He probably struggles with the communication the most because it's it's you know, um, it's through ASL uh, or text and and uh, he's also unable to speak. So so that that raises a bit a bit of difficulty for him. The other characters are Elian and Levi are two. Um, Two older characters; they're in their late high school years, and they are—they've been in foster care. Um, they were in foster care when they were younger because their species were a- actually went extinct during the wars in Tiranak. So they're really the only family that they have is each other, and uh, they were around during the late stages of the war. So it really left uh, some emotional scars on them. Hmm. So they have PTSD. Yeah, they're the ones with PTSD. My my last character, because I briefly talked about the Dar with the autism, um, and Jacob as well. Hmm. Uh, Wither is not necessarily unable to walk, but it's not safe for him to. He has a congenital heart de- um heart defect, and so he uh, it's not safe for him to to um to be walking around. He's very fragile. He's the one who's he's often been in hospitals uh quite a bit. And there's a little bit of a personal aspect to his story. Um so he's he's not he's not been in the series much, but he he will be in more episodes down the line. Mm-hmm.
0: In Leroy, he struggles with anxiety and depression.
1: Yes, Leroy. Leroy, due to his um, his childhood circumstance, grew up dealing with um, some emotional problems, including depression and anxiety. And with that, that's it's part of the reason why he's always. Um, I think I made reference in one of the episodes that he's always kind of been running from the concept of genuine family and genuine love because he doesn't know how to accept that when he's never been given it
0: Hmm. yes that is something that a lot struggle with you know he's not used to it and i think being in contact with these emotions actually makes him even more fearful because he doesn't know what that might lead to
1: that's true he uh it's definitely and and so but uh, even being around someone like Jacob's family, who's very open, and they're, they're a very loving family. The Faust family is incredibly loving, despite a few skeletons in their closet. They're, they're, <laughs> very, they're very lovely people, um, and they love him like, the, like, like a son. They love Leroy like they would their own child. But he definitely probably has a harder time accepting it from his own family rather than someone else's family.
0: Mm hmm. How about the kind of brotherly bond that he has with Jacob? Does he have some difficulty accepting affection or care from him?
1: Yeah. In one of my favorite episodes, um, Burgers and Choco Shakes, it's Leroy's birthday and Jacob wants to have a fun day with him. But it's it's sad. It starts out as a very sad, intense day between the two. Um, Partially because Leo's birthday, when I didn't, haven't revealed this just yet, but here it is. Um, that was the day that he was put into the foster system. So it's never a happy day for him. Uh, I would say, yeah, he probably, he probably has a harder time accepting affection, even from Jacob, who he loves dearly. Um, and we see th- throughout the series how deep that love goes hmm It's
0: very touching.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely, they're definitely probably two of the most fleshed out.
0: Definitely, yes. You know, you write them so well, you know, they feel like real live people.
1: Partially, they were inspired by by the bond between my myself and one of my own um, very, very close, long, close uh, friends. So that probably had something to do with it.
0: Ah, I see. So who does Leroy feel like is the easiest to accept affection from?
1: That's the thing about his journey. Um, I think... I think before he can truly accept love and affection from anyone, he has to love and accept himself. And that's, that's really what Leroy's story is about, is learning to love himself first and then gradually accept love from those around him who care for him deeply
0: that's very true yeah sometimes when you don't accept certain aspects of yourself it's very hard to move beyond certain emotions and start accepting how others feel about you
1: that's very true
0: yeah I think Leroy is someone who is trapped in many ways in his own mind
1: yes yeah this this season this season two is definitely going to be about him exploring now that him and him and Jacob have kind of separated a little bit, him more learning to just forgive himself, um, and love himself and all the all the the parts all the flaws that Jacob and his and and Leroy's friends love about him.
0: Mm-hmm. How about Jacob? Does he also struggle with disliking parts of himself?
1: I would say yes, I would say that Jacob probably struggles with um, he probably I'm trying I'm trying to find a way to word it properly. He loves everyone and he loves everyone around him, and he never wants anyone around him to feel left out or or sad. um but and there's a line that will be coming up in one of the episodes where Gwither says to him, well, what makes you happy? And, and Jacob goes, well, making other people happy. Mm-hmm. Jacob isn't necessarily. He's very selfless. Um, but I think I think he would probably struggle with acceptance
0: as well. Is it in a different way than Leroy?
1: Repeat the question. I'm sorry.
0: Does he struggle with accepting acceptance? Does he struggle with acceptance in a different way than Leroy struggles with that or in a similar way?
1: Probably. um when he was younger he was very much considered weak and odd and much slower than most of his vampiric peers so he probably feels like a bit of an outsider to his own kin but not so much in the same way that Leroy feels that he he is not lovable um, Jacob probably struggles with peer acceptance rather than love because he knows he's loved
0: mm-hmm and we see that in that episode with Edgar.
1: Yes, Edgar. Edgar is a character who who um who definitely broke through Jacob's insecurities, and uh, and may know some things about Jacob that not even Jacob wants to you know wants to admit.
0: Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about Edgar and what kind of character
1: he is? Sure. Edgar, ironically, started out as Jacob's negative emotions. And some people may have noticed that in the episode, uh, A Face in the Mirror. Um, And that's what he was going to be until he evolved past the Jekyll and Hyde. He, he's interesting he can be crude he can be cruel he can be all the bad things that you know that that people try to hide inside it's almost like he's pulling it from them um he's a nightmare he he's a nightmare vampire hybrid and he is uh he is there to make you uncomfortable
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we can definitely feel the un- discomfort that he causes in Jacob when he first appears. He's literally a nightmare in the sense that he causes people to question themselves so much.
1: Yeah, he his his powers um I haven't touched on them physically yet in the series, but his powers are the ability it's like let's say you want to go desecrate a building with some graffiti or something, he can literally motivate you to do that. Um but then there's... That side of him is is his Hyde. Is his, hide, um, is his, uh, his Edward Hyde. Because Edgar is actually much more timid than than Victor.
0: Mm-hmm. So how so is it, the more timid side of him like?
1: Edgar is much more cowardly. He's much more fragile. Um, mentally speaking he he's just like he wants his family back he has a child he's trying to get to but in terms of physicality and weakness he just can't do it Mm -hmm. um in the latest episode i think it was it wasn't never alone but it was the one it was the edgar episode following that where uh, his companion, Sirius, suggests that they go to the house to confront Edgar's brother. But Edgar pretty much just shut down at that point, and Victor took over. Mm-hmm.
0: So he can't really control this personality shift, can he?
1: No. It's very much out of his control, making, making Edgar more of a victim than a villain.
0: That's what I find so fascinating about him, because when he's first introduced, he seems like a typical villain. But as we see more of his struggles and we understand that, you know, he is the product of his environment and the things he's gone through, we realize he's just like everyone else.
1: Yeah, that was the thing, too i had i had teased that edgar was going to be a villain worth reading and that he wasn't going to be quite redeemable until the until the preceding factor of him having a child came in and could have thrown a wrench into into things but i i went with it and it turned into this this beautifully complex person dealing with a personality shift due to his own actions and as you'll see in tear nanak he may have had a hand in the creation of Victor. Ah, I see. Not necessarily because he wanted to. He may have had the best intent, Mm -hmm. but it didn't, it backfired on him. Mm -hmm. So what kind of ableist
0: tropes are you challenging in your webtoon? You know, via V, what we see in the media, how do you think that your, Webtoon challenges certain ways that, you know, people with disabilities are presented.
1: Um, when you when you say ableist, you're talking about the people you are talking about people who like, refuse to see disabilities like like they're, they're very anti anti disability, if I'm, if I'm correct.
0: Um, no, they're not really anti anti disability. I think my point was that it's more like you know how like some people say in the media, um, it's it's more subtle. So basically, it's like a presentation of certain people with disabilities in a patronizing way. For example, okay. not as truly fleshed out people, but more as like a token or a trope. Kind of how, how like ethnicity is sometimes tokenized in the media.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. Now that makes a lot more sense. Um yeah, I I would say that that just like you said, I, in terms of trying to challenge ableist tropes, um, I would say definitely making characters like Jacob and Adar and Lucas, you know, ma- making my cast more fleshed out, emotionally speaking, personality wise, you know, um, right off the bat too is definitely a way to challenge what people think of when they think of those stereotypical and those very patronizing um, those very patronizing uh tropes mm-hmm.
0: What do you think is an example of a patronizing trope that we usually see in the media about people um, with disabilities
1: that there I would say that uh, that they're a burden, and that to me is um that's very, very patron or that or that their disability is a burden to those around them. Um, And that to me is very, very sad that 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 we would that we would almost I hate to use the word demonize because that's not the right word. But You know what I mean? That we would that we would make it in such a way that it's a bad thing to have autism or that. okay. um, one thing I, I, I heard was like, autism leads to social isolation. Mm-hmm. It can, if you don't take the proper steps to socialize, you know, to help them socialize if they need it. But I don't necessarily think that, um, that that's true. Cause I, I knew plenty of people who were on the spectrum and, you know, various spectrums who had plenty of friends hmm. So I would definitely say that's that's one that kind of sticks out to me. Mm hmm.
0: How about other types of disabilities, such as deafness, for example?
1: I definitely think that we need more deaf characters in media. Um, I definitely think that there just needs to be more neuro neurodivergency. Um, we, we should probably be teaching ASL in schools. We should be teaching awareness. You know, not everyone who doesn't talk to you <laughs> or doesn't respond to you isn't necessarily ignoring you. Um, awareness, o- awareness, compassion, and kindness is probably our greatest weapons against stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm, very true. I think, unfortunately, in mainstream media, people with disabilities are often just seen as tokens or, you know, invisible in many senses. You know, they're not seen as full, fully human in the sense that they're not fully developed as characters. They are just there as one-dimensional tokens or just in the background. They're never in the forefront.
1: Yeah. And even, even when they are, what's difficult about, about like, writing uh, stories with those who have disabilities is oftentimes it's those who are um, who are more neurotypical who are writing the stories. And I've seen it going around where it's it's like hashtag, you know, actually autistic, you know, use autistic voices. Um, I really appreciated that in She-Ra, uh, Entrapta was actually really inspired by an, by an uh, by one of the storyboard writers who had autism. So... It was really instrumental in that way so i feel like if we had more people who were willing to to use their their neurodivergent voices to tell neurodivergent stories we would see less one-dimensional characters and more fleshed out humans not not robots mm-hmm,
0: exactly What other kind of advice do you have for people who want to write stories about people who are neurodivergent or characters that have other types of disabilities?
1: I would say, don't be afraid to explore them like you would any other character because at the end of the day, even though they have a unique set of circumstances, it doesn't make them any less human. Um, or, or any less supernatural, you know whatever whatever kind of character you, you are using to tell your story, as long as they are authentically and uniquely themselves, even with um, a disability, as long as long as you are telling that story from your experiences or the experiences you've seen of the people around you, I think uh, I say go for it because we definitely need it. Mm -hmm.
0: I think it's also very important to keep in mind when we say that we want the character to be more human and more fleshed out. That also includes not putting them on a pedestal.
1: That's true. Don't, um, just because the character has a disability that doesn't necessarily make them the exception to the rule. You know, they have, they should, they should definitely experience the joys, the sorrows, the ups and downs. You know they're not they're not superhuman um unless unless that's your story and you know that'd be kind of cool um but but yeah definitely definitely make sure they go through the motions of life as well
0: Mm -hmm. because I think one of the problems that a lot of people have sometimes is that they don't want to be offensive so they go the other way and make the character perfect
1: Oh yeah. Oh my my cast is so far from perfect. Jake Jacob Jacob Leroy Adar, they, they all they all make mistakes. Um Jacob and Leroy especially. They they definitely make some mistakes as they go along. So yeah, definitely, definitely don't put them on the perfect pedestal. And don't um the other thing too is is uh no poor pity me. Um, because I often feel like like it, it's 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 misunderstood that life is so hard because of your disability no life is equally as fulfilling we just have our challenges from time to time but it doesn't make it doesn't make my life miserable
0: mm-hmm. exactly and the other way around is that, you know, I think a disability doesn't make someone's life more inspiring. They don't, they're not there to serve as an inspirational story to other people.
1: Sure. I feel like, I feel like people with disabilities are there to, we're all here to do the best that we can. I find that the disability community is often filled with a lot of people who are very encouraging. So I feel like I feel like those stories definitely should be created to encourage other people with disabilities to, you know, what's the word? Not to not be afraid of who they are. That's mm-hmm. definitely one thing that I, that I, I champion. Um, don't be afraid of who you are. Definitely be proud
0: And that's what your characters also struggle to learn as they go through life. You know, both Leroy and Jacob, you know, have to learn to accept themselves.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: So your work arguably counts as low fantasy, as we mentioned before, meaning it takes place in a world very similar to our own, but with some differences such as Fae, you know, we have dragons, vampires, and so on and so forth. What would you say is the hardest part about writing low fantasy and what is the easiest?
1: So if I'm being honest, um, (laughs) it's a, the, the, the hardest is probably people thinking um, that my world follows the rules and logic of the real world. It does not. Um, there is a, there's one particular ass, uh, moment where Jacob is, is in the classroom setting and they're talking about the weaknesses of vampires. And Jacob mentions he has to have a quote unquote allergy shot um, when he's around Roses, because it can cause vampires to suffocate. Mm-hmm. I was not implying that allergy shots um, are used to be are are used as like <sighs> someone. I'm pointing out that it was like a, um, like immunotherapy, and I went that would that's true. What you're saying is factually true, but it doesn't make sense in vampires, it doesn't make sense, in creatures that are considered supernatural. In them, it's more like a defensive agent. And I had to make sure I clarified that in the season two premiere, because again, my, my world does not follow the logic of, of real life. So mm-hmm. that's that was probably the hardest part, is trying to to get people to almost suspend their disbelief of real world logic in favor of the world's logic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: the easiest part is I get to bend the rules <laughs> <laughs> and pretty much you know create do and say what I you know what I feel fits within the boundaries of my world
0: Hmm. yeah what kind of advice would you have for people who want to write their own fantasy series for example um, some of my friends, such as my other co-host, Tete, she's had some difficulties with her fantasy world building because she, she's overwhelmed by how many details have to go into it. And sometimes she's, she's really scared of setting something up and saying, and then later on, finding out that something else in her world building has contradicted that. What advice would you give people who are struggling with this?
1: what's what's so wonderful about world building is sometimes and 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 i've done this too i have another fantasy series i'm working on that uh um i sort of set the world building aside for a little while and focused more so on my characters and my story what's world building is a tough subject but i would say um sometimes there are details that are just not going to make it into your series and you can only cover so much because, A, mentally, yes, it's very stressing. And, and two, um, you never want to overwhelm your audience. That's the other thing, too. You never want to, like we were saying the one time, uh, info dump. You don't, you don't ever want to give, like, too much all at once because that can just lead to muddled plot lines. So definitely my advice would be um, decide what you think is most important, definitely make a checklist of things you're like okay a a needs to happen b needs to happen b b c d you know go through the checklist of of, of what's most important detail wise and then if the other things that you want to cover come about later down the line then they come about naturally more so than trying to put all your eggs into the basket at once
0: mm-hmm. that's very good advice i agree because last time in our episode from last week, we talked with a fantasy writer called Wanda Walker, who also said that she kind of just brushed aside world building sometimes and focused more on the characters. And then later on, she went back to the world building and thought about what her characters needed. Like, you know, she was looking at her character stories and thinking about what she needed to bring in from all the ideas she had from her world building into the story to flesh her characters out more. So that's another way to approach world building, which you were also saying, you know, should be sometimes more character focused. When because you don't want to be too absorbed in the details.
1: Yeah, yeah, your your story will almost get muddled and lost. I, I had someone who I was brainstorming with, and they were like, "Well, what about the world here? What's happening to this place over here?" I went, "That doesn't matter right now. What matters is the characters and what's happening with their story. The world will I will build the world when I need to build the world." Right now, I just want to worry about what what's happening with my main cast. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Especially if the story is like yours, you know, very character focused and focused on their inner psychology and their character development.
1: Oh yeah, and that that I learned a lot from listening to just like. I listened to so many different people, so many different storytellers from the world of, of games, to the world of comics, to the world of manga, to TV shows and movies. I absorbed whatever I could, and then I just took all that advice and put it into one thing. And the one thing I consistently heard was, "You, in order to have a strong story, you need to have strong characters. And I, I'm very, very... Um, I champion character-driven stories because um, it matters. It truly matters mm-hmm. to have well-rounded protagonists.
0: I agree. You know, I'm also a very big fan of character-driven stories and I'm a creator of one myself. And I think one of the reasons why I personally have always been drawn to character-driven stories is because they explore and answer and you know pose so many questions that we real everyday life people face. know, they are a reflection of ourselves and our struggles, and they can sometimes help us to think about the problems we have and feel better about the problems we have and maybe, maybe come up with solutions to the problems we are currently
1: facing. That's true. Yeah. I often say it's funny. um, People talk about, about like, don't do a self-insert, but I feel like, I feel like that's almost, that's almost oxymoronic because, You're writing based on your experiences and things that you yourself have gone through. They might just be a little bit more fictionalized. Exactly. You're you're Mm -hmm. already doing a self-insert. You're you're just not calling it that.
0: There's nothing wrong with self-inserts audience I'm just saying I'm putting it out there because I noticed that like on you know sites especially like 10 years ago when I was like 13 years old or 14 on places like Art, we've been told for countless of years that you should never write self-inserts but what they were trying to say back then is kind of different from what we're saying right now as a self-insert because back then I think they were talking and criticizing about characters who were like they were not fleshed out like these kind of self-inserts were just wish fulfillment you know they were just in the story yeah. so then they can get the perfect love interest and have everything handed over to them without working for it the but gary when we're mary talking yeah, exactly the mary sue or the gary stew but when we're talking about self inserts in you know what we just covered we're talking about characters who are based on our own experiences and what we went through which is a bit different and i would say very different actually from the mary sue or the gary stew trope yes Because a lot of these self-insert characters that we're talking about go through a lot of struggles. You know, they are far from perfect. They don't get everything handed to them like the Mary Sue or the Gary Stu supposedly does. Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Yeah. And also
0: another thing is that having a Gary Stu or a Mary Sue isn't necessarily end of the world I think a lot of creators are have been told over the internet especially that oh if you have you know this kind of character then you know it's really bad but I don't think it is really that bad it's a starting point everyone has to start from somewhere and you know I don't really think you can really just say oh because this character is a Mary Sue we should never work with them again well no every character has to start from somewhere and you know you can think more about how to make that character engaging more human and just more fleshed out and interesting
1: yeah just I mean, labeling
0: if- a character as mary sue and brushing him or her aside is is not the way to go about it
1: yeah there there is definitely a fine line and that that's an interesting thing too i mean if your character starts out as you know starts off in that and then you go and then you decide to flesh them out further and further. The story goes along. I think that's fine. You know, having them have the perfect, you know, perfect hair, perfect body, you know, all that sort of stuff, but then sort of branching out and giving them flaws because flaws are what make characters relatable. um, Then yeah, that's fine. It's fine as a starting point. Just make sure that you go beyond that.
0: Mm -hmm, Exactly. I think, you know, a character needs to be dynamic and grow and, I mean, in order to be engaging, unless it's some kind of parody where, you know, the whole story is a parody of something or some kind of yes. commentary on something else or a satire. I mean, that's totally different, but in a oh, character- yeah. Yeah, in a
1: different
0: mm-hmm. setting. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you want with the story. I mean, as the creator, you get to decide for yourself what you want to achieve with your character.
1: I agree with that, yeah. And th- that's the wonderful thing about being an author. Um, an author, there, in, in, in some regard, you know, you, you get to decide, you know, exactly what your character is going to go through and how. Exactly.
0: hmm Anything else you want to tell us about Chaotic Idiots and the process of creation in general?
1: Um, hmm. I felt like there was, did we get through all our questions? Uh yes, I think we did. Well, um, I, I, guess, I guess my hope for Chaotic Idiots uh, is that people find it enjoyable, um, that I'm, I'm doing my, my disability representation right. I hope people will enjoy its prequel as well And, uh, oh, I know, Um, you would ask me if I wanted to talk about, like, uh, about um, those who want to start a webtoon. Oh, yes,
0: yes, we can talk about that as well.
1: So the one thing I do, I want to say, and this is something that I don't think I've seen, I've seen very many people um, talk about is when you start a webtoon. It is not going to be sunshine rainbow and uh, everybody's going to love your story as harsh as that sounds, Um, because not many people liked chaotic idiots when it was in its first incarnation. Mm -hmm. They did not like my story. Um, And another thing, too, you may you may get a lot of negative comments. But the one the one thing that really matters at the end of the day is who are you writing this story for? Because if you're writing it for to please the audience that you get, even though that's a wonderful thing, you know, you you want to have people like your story. But if you're writing it for them, you really should not start making a webtoon because it's not no it, it, it's just a common saying. Not everybody's gonna love your work. Eventually you will find people who are going to like that. So I definitely would say to anyone who wants to start a webtoon, go in there knowing that it's not gonna be an easy uphill journey. Um, it's definitely gonna be a battle. It certainly was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, don't let self self doubt defeat you because um, most of the time, your own thoughts are, your, are, are the worst enemy you actually have. It's not other people. Um, and uh, don't be afraid to to tell your story. And I think, I think that's the best thing I could give to somebody is is definitely don't be afraid to tell your story because if it's if it's something you love and are passionate about, it's worth telling.
0: I totally agree. Yeah, especially if you are trying to aim for like a weekly release, like some of these webtoons are. You know, they have an update every week you really need to set a schedule and think about what you want to achieve with your webcomic rather than just go along with what your audience or what you think your audience wants. Because at yeah. that point, you need to motivate yourself. You can't rely on the audience to motivate you.
1: Yeah, because a lot of times, a lot of times they're, they're just not going to. So, you know, I, I, heard, I heard I heard a webtoon creator say this. Um, they were like, you have to be happy making something for yourself rather than for an audience. Hmm.
0: I agree. And that goes not only for webtoon, but novel writing, you know, art and honestly, any kind of content creation.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much um, for having me on. This was incredible.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. You know, we had such a great time talking about your comic and the themes that are in it, and you know, the importance of disability representation.
1: Absolutely, it is. It's uh, it's something that I hope in the future we will we'll uh, we'll see more characters. You know, whether it's autism or deafness or cerebral palsy or you know what what have you in terms of uh, of disability that's out there. because it's, I mean, it is, it's such a vast spectrum and we just, we just need more. We, we need to normalize neurodivergency.
0: Exactly. Thank you so much again. Bye. Bye. Bye.